Welcome to the latest uh, Digital Disability Film Review podcast. Uh, we're going to look at Run, Cryptales and Christmas Ever After. So Run, Miro, this is mainly me and you talking about this. So uh, what did you think of Run? Uh, I thought it was a very mediocre film. It, as thrillers go, it was it was watchable. It wasn't. I wasn't reaching to turn it off, uh, but it, it was fairly you know, conventional. You knew what was going to happen by the end of it. It got bizarre towards the end, where it became so far fetched. In terms of disability issues, um, there was you know even even how it started with this kind of list of impairments and and diagnostic labels was a bit strange. Uh, as a way to describe, and then you realise actually that it's describing all the impairments of the main character, uh, but but as if the audience had to know this in order to find some sort of connection or understanding with the main character. Um, and then it was, in, I thought it was interesting in the, the relationship between obviously the, the two characters, predominant characters in the film, uh, the mother and daughter, uh, and of course the, the mother who clearly has a mental health conditions in the way that she... Be- believes you know and uh, and um, interacts with her daughter uh, on the basis of the, of their false relationship uh of course you know she, the, the the mother is portrayed as menacing and, and a threat and deviant uh and you know um, uh, unstable you know through the hollywood formula uh and of course for the actual main character the witches she was you know pretty uh you know I, I haven't seen her in any other pieces of work before that's the first time i've ever seen her do anything in fact, I don't know if that's her first film. I thought she came across as fairly well, but again, you know, I think it it was let down by focusing on uh, impairment. It was, uh, and it, and I and I felt there was there were some scenes that I was a little bit uncomfortable about, particularly when she's struggling when she gets out of a wheelchair and she's crawling along the floor. And there's these long scenes of just watching her gasp for breath, uh, and as she kind of drags herself around the house without her wheelchair, which I was a bit perplexed by. Right. So so in essence, it's about this homeschool teenager who begins to suspect that her mother has a dark secret, which is the IMDb description of it. And I, I was fascinated by the description of the impairments at the beginning and the medical conditions. And it seemed to want to throw everything in there. So she couldn't just be uh, paralysed. Uh, she had to also have asthma. She also had to have uh, all these rashes all over her body. And, and the quietest stairlift in the history of the world, which I, which I thought was the most amazing thing. Uh, I, I must admit, I quite enjoyed it because it was ridiculous. I quite like films that are ridiculous. And I, I, there is a, I'm going to tell you the spoiler because, you know, it's been out a while. But the spoiler is, is that the mother has Munchausen syndrome and that actually the child is not disabled at all and has been forced to live the life of a disabled since an infant being and all the rashes and that are the drugs that the mother is giving her to make her uh, a wheelchair user and an asthmatic and it's it is a really ridiculous plot uh, uh sarah paulson who plays the mother is getting a bit typecast as crazy woman uh, uh, I would recommend it because it was interesting and I I did find it funny uh, in, in a completely unintentional way. There's a bit where she tries to come downstairs and the mother has turned the stairlift off. So she finally gets on the stairlift and then throws herself off the stairlift, down the stairs, lands down the stairs, 
And then she can suddenly start moving her toes, uh, which I think was supposed to be an indication that, you know, whatever, because she hadn't had her drugs for a while or something. And uh, I thought the, the, the young woman who, I think it is her first film, Kira Allen, I thought she was very good. I thought she carried her part off very well. She is a, a, a person with a real impairment, and that made it quite interesting. Obviously, it was completely unrealistic in what it made her do in the way that it was made. So there's a bit where she crawls out of the window, crawls along the roof, and does a little bit of science magic to make a window shatter. The bit of being on the roof was ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. I, But what ruined it for me was the end. Yeah. I, I, I know. I know what you guess. Well, I'm interested. What you, well, you, well. Yeah. Firstly, there's there's a bit where the mother is scarred, and it turns out they they'd edited out a scene that explained that her mother had been abused as a child or had been the victim of Munchausen syndrome, and this scar that you see in the in the shower, it, it was enough to imply it. But it, I would have quite liked that being a bit more explicit because you know I'm an idiot. Uh, and I don't have a problem with over-explanation, but I would have just liked to see more actors in it, actually. Just those two women and the uh, the postman uh, was a bit odd. I think if you're a Stephen King fan, there was lots of Stephen King jokes in there. Uh, so, for example, there's a reference to Misery and and the town where where he sets a lot of his stuff. It's not a Stephen King story. And so I didn't, I didn't mind it if you just saw it as almost a comedy. Uh, set so but it had really odd moments like for example it was patently obvious that the young woman could get out of her chair and move across areas without it so when her mother locks her in a basement and chains her wheelchair to to something so that she can't reach something and then she just gets out of the falls out of the wheelchair and crawls to it it's kind of like it was just a little bit illogical because you'd seen the young woman to go up and down stairs across roofs and everything. The mother would have known. Mira, what are you going to say? Well, no, I was going to say, I thought, I thought that there was a part of the end after, after uh, her mother is incarcerated uh, and then she goes to visit her. And that whole bit where they, she gets out of her wheelchair and walks with a stick through the metal detector as a way to kind of prove that you know, no longer had she got this kind of this, these impairment restrictions imposed upon her. She can now walk with the aid of a you know, of a stick. But I just thought it was really bizarre. It was, it was you know the way that it kind of you know, the, this retribution had come from. Now her mum's incarcerated. There's then that part where she brings in uh, the, the 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 main character brings in uh, when she visits the, the prison uh, medication, which she then regurgitates to feed to her. Which I assume she's feeding to her mum as yeah. a way to kind of punish her. Yeah. Uh, for what she's what she's been doing to she's giving her the drugs that her mother gave her yeah, yeah. Her so you know all that was I, I was really perplexed by that particularly the scene when she has to when she deliberately gets out of her wheelchair to you know to perform and walk through the metal detector as the way to I, I thought that was that was very interesting because I think that was special effects because I don't think she can walk oh, okay and actually using special effects to put a person who can't walk on a body that does walk for that scene. I thought was fascinating, odd, and quietly surreal, and and I didn't like the way they'd made her that she ended up working with disabled people. She was fitting prostheses. Once she'd escaped her mother and was 
sort of cured and could whatever. Yeah, she was really pleased that she'd been able to give a child legs. That's it. <laughs> I think that was the phrase she used, wasn't it? But, but again, it's so bad, it's funny. Uh, and and you, if you could well, almost say tongue in cheek. <laughs> well, like, it's funny because like, it was so bad. I kept thinking they mean this. This is supposed to be funny. It isn't. It isn't kind of like bad in the sense of like just tapping into cliches. It did, obviously, but I, I thought it was so bad that perhaps they meant it. And even like getting a disabled person who, who, who really couldn't walk and then having to use special effects to put her head on the body of this person who walks through the thing, etc. It was just really bizarre. And, and I thought the fact that she was then doing it to her mother, which was that 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 was the cliche, that psychological thing that you repeat the the the, the, the deeds of your parents. I thought that was a bit of. That was a bit crass and equally illogical. It, to give her the drugs that would have kept the mother paralysed in prison in the infirmary, she would have had to have visited her quite a lot. And the implication was is that she didn't. And then she was going to stop visiting her. So then she wouldn't be paralysed anymore. And it was just, it started to get a little bit confused on its kind of the daughter then taking revenge on her mother who had done terrible things to her. So it was just, it was all got a bit over the top in the end, but... But I would I would recommend it because it was it's it's an hour thirty it's quite snappy Sarah Paulson is always good to watch as a nutcase I think there's no other way to use the way she plays those kind of characters with mental health issues other than I think anyway, are... it, 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 sorry I was going to say anyway it, it did throw up some interesting themes to to reflect on you know like the idea of using using impairment as a form of control. And and trying to you know it, 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 um, you know create create those conditions where you're then forcing somebody to be dependent upon you as as a way to legitimise your role as as the carer or as, or as a mother um, and also you know the, the the of course you know this this whole portrayal of a young disabled person isolated no friends you know lack of social control and of course for many young disabled people that is the situation. Um, and and you know so it was interesting to see those kind of themes thrown up, although they were used for for the purpose of mystery and thriller. Um, and and then I just wanted the postman to survive. Uh, and I think we'll uh, we, and equally there is another little twist within the story uh, that uh, <coughs> that I won't tell you, but I would recommend it. So uh, so yeah, uh, would you recommend it, Miro? As for a nice hour and a half of amusing. Well, I'd watch it over Christmas Ever After. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> we'll get to that like, a bit later. It sounds like a mashup, a mashup of um, the the night listener, um, misery, and uh, on the room actually. Yeah, and there's I even a little, bit, a little bit of rear window in there, and. Uh, uh, particularly the Christopher Reeve version of that. There's a whole load of stuff in there, and so actually, if you if you've watched and enjoyed those kind of movies, <coughs> it, it wasn't bad. You know, it, it tapped into all of those and, and delivered some in jokes and some amusing. If you're a disabled person throwing yourself off a stairlift to get down the stairs, what's yeah. what's the other twist you won't tell us? What? That she's not. You think it's her daughter, but it actually, it's oh, her. Right, yeah. Now you've made me ruin it for everybody, but actually it's not ruined because you pretty much guess that straight off. But uh, yeah, so she's not really her daughter and she kidnapped her off someone else. So uh, 
And there's a little mention at the end when she's visiting her that she's mixing with her original parents and, yeah. and her in-laws in a, in a kind of more normalised kind of way. So, But uh, I would check it out. I would recommend it. So, because it was just ridiculous. Uh, right, let's move on to Cryptales. So there's six of these. Is there? Is there six? Right. So let's have a little talk about the kind of, oh, IMDB, I've only got the first two up, which is a bit of a shame. So uh, that was no good to me. So this was back in, it's a BBC and BBC America production, which was curated by Matt Fraser. I would recommend that people check out the Disability Arts Online interview between Colin Hambrook and Matt Fraser. Uh, obviously, I'd recommend everybody uh, subscribes to Disability Arts Online, as we all do, uh, to keeping up to date. And, and mainly the primary reason, obviously, is to read Alison's reviews of books and films, as I read your documentary uh, review, uh, Disability and Documentary Review yesterday, so which I thought was very good. Anyway, but it's, so it's six short uh, kind of monologues. They're monologues. The BBC have done monologues many years ago, and they've redone them, the Alan Bennett load. I think they did a load of, of uh, feminist or women monologues, and this was the next one in the line of doing uh, disabled people. What did one think of this, Alison? I totally welcome the series. Overall, I loved it. Um, though I, I, I almost, I've just watched them again this morning. Um, and I, I almost got to the point of ranking it, which is not ranking them, which is not what I want to, not really what I want to be doing. Um, but I have to say that the two that I probably loved the most were um, Matt Fraser's, uh, which I thought had just some brilliant, brilliant lines, which were, it was both entertaining in and of itself, but in so many ways, it was so cleverly written by him to capture so many of the issues, not just around not just around auditioning and dis disabled actors and how they're treated, but I personally have decided, as long as it's available, to use it um, as um, a recovery vehicle for me after I've had an interview and been turned down for a job because it kind of, yeah, it, it's, I just find it really healing to listen to it, even though it's partly quite angry. So that was one of, uh, of my favourite two. And the other one which I thought was really outstanding was Jackie Hagan's. Again, written by her and performed by her. Which one was that? Um, that was, ah, I've forgotten the name. Oh, uh, uh, Pepernickers. Pepernickers. Yeah. And it, I, I, again, and perhaps even more so, I think what I loved about it most was I wanted to see this character again and again. In a way, uh, she, she's nothing like her in a lot of ways, but I could almost see her becoming a, a regular I'd look forward to on my TV screen, like, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it actually, but uh, Russian Connerty, for example. It's just like, I wanted to know more about this woman's life, just com completely. It, it, she just, I just found it completely and utterly engaging. It was, I think, definitely, um, in a not in a non-dark sense, although a bit in a dark sense, the funniest. I think the the right the writing was was comedy gold. I thought it was 
just so funny, just little asides. I think that in some ways only people in the disabled people's community will get, uh, but at the same time, funny anyway. Uh, just a totally captivating character, a really good, a really good story, which I think probably would echo with most people uh, who have, particularly those who have who have got acquired impairments. J just a really, really good piece of art, even on your terms, Paul. Even on my terms. Even on your street, <laughs> <laughs> a real piece of disability <laughs> art, but also um, just. Um, just there in the mainstream, sitting alongside the mainstream and saying, this woman needs a series. I just absolutely love that one. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't mean that I didn't really value most of the rest. There's only one really that I didn't like. So, so which one didn't you like? Um, that one was uh, Real Deal. And uh, unfortunately, I am on one of those, I don't like being on the side, um, but... I think despite the intentions, and I've read all the debate around it, about it being um, a story of the Kafkaesque nature of uh, going through the assessments process and the DWP, uh, even if that was its intention, I think it's a good intention. I, I, think it, I don't think it hit its mark. Instead, how it hit me, particularly as somebody with a fluctuating impairment who... Uh, often passes or is told that they're not really disabled, not, uh, as Jackie Hagen says, properly disabled. Um, um, I found it really stigmatising. And, you know, I've kind of heard all the counter arguments about that. But when I look through the dialogue, in, well, the monologue <laughs> uh, there, uh, it, does, it, does, it does actually quite cleverly read as a dialogue. Uh, but... Um, the, her comments about, um, I think his name's Giles, white best man, uh, are all very classed. Uh, we have his predatory sexual behaviour, we have the way he dresses, his fat bottom, mucus on his fingers, the white vest, all of this. It, it, it just is it, very definitely painted as a worker, uh, as low working class scum, I think, and she's quite middle class. And that in itself is not necessarily a problem. It's just, I think that we become, even though she starts off being really quite nasty in announcing her goal, we become, uh, the character kind of starts talking about her own virtue and how she's a real disabled person as in the real deal. Um, and th th this, you know, uh, th this idea that there's real disabled people who deserve uh, deserve benefits, deserve attention, and lots of scroungers is unfortunately for me very, very much underlined in this. Uh, and yeah, so I really didn't like it at all. She's a very able actress, um, I or actor. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was a shame, a missed opportunity. So, well, let, let me talk about that a bit in the sense that this is the one about a woman who's looking out of a window of watching someone uh, who, you know, she. Or, or that you've just described. And the controversy was John Pring seems to, in the Disability News Service, it seems to have been instrumental in highlighting the, the problem that you've just said about it. And, and a lot of people have become very defensive of it. And there was a really good defense of it in Disability Arts Online, I think, that says the other view of, you know, what it was doing. 
I, I think to me, uh, particularly in relation to that episode, I thought Liz, it was one of the best things she's done as a performance. I think the problem with anything is, is intent and how it's received often have no relationship. So I think the intent may have been there and both in, in the performance and in the writing and in the directing, but actually the reception of it will be exactly as you've said it was, Alison. And I think it will be used and abused to perpetuate those. And it pandered to a kind of right-wing agenda of, of, of the, the deserving and the undeserving. I think the class thing, again, I thought Liz was brilliant in it, and I thought she got the nuance on that, and it was about class. But again, you're talking about an, getting an audience to take all of those things to account, which I think, by and large, they either can't or won't. And, and I think it will be used in a, in a really negative way. But again... Can I, just, can I say one really positive thing? And I did actually um, briefly chat to Matt about this afterwards. Um, uh, one briefly positive thing, and I think this is, and and, uh, and I think this is fundamental. Is I'm really really glad it was in that series mm -hmm. because uh, when you think about it, I think all of them were really good, and the fact that there was one in there that actually made me quite angry uh, and and quite upset, I think, and obviously that's true for the people, um, means that. Actually, we've got to that point where we've got a range of things and we can now say this works for most people. This works for most people. Not, not, not there should be a list, but it's like now we've finally got that space and we're testing that out and we're getting to experiment. We, we're kind of a bit more aware of, of where things are taking us and, and what the implications of that are, possibly for subgroups within that audience that you're talking about. So I think I think it's absolutely right that it should be in there, uh, particularly well, as I know now know what I don't want disabled actors to be doing. Yeah, uh, well, well, it's funny because on that on that following that through, it's kind of like so: should actors and writers write not write things that they think will be misinterpreted? And I would say absolutely not. They should write whatever they want and yeah. actually make whatever they want. And yeah. the more that there is it does it a it matters less if it's something we don't like in some yeah. ideological position I, I think it's important this one because i there are there isn't that much product but actually for the people in it and the people making it they shouldn't give a second thought actually in in the kind of their creative processes and i think i did i think it extended liz it showed her as a really good actress i think she got a lot of nuance on there but equally both sides are right it won't be interpreted how you think it's going to be interpreted. And even if you wrote it with that and you want it to be seen that way, it almost definitely won't be. But that shouldn't stop you doing it. So, but the Matt Fraser one, I thought was very interesting. I think part of my, it was very good and enjoyable, but because I've seen a lot of Matt's shows over the last 20 years, it didn't have much in it that I hadn't seen before from seeing all of his shows and he's done a lot of shows and he he'd refined it and distilled it. And I thought it was really good. It wasn't as enjoyable for me because I, I'd heard most of that before, you know, and he, he, you know, so, but it was all that you said it was. And I thought that was really good. I think the other biggest disappointment to me was the Hamish one. That oh, it, really? 
that it was subtitled. It shouldn't have been subtitled. You should have had the option to do the subtitles like you do on any programme. And I thought, I, yeah. I don't like that. That that you're 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 demonstrating, you know, you're making an allowance for people when in fact I want people yeah. to make stuff that makes no allowances. You know, so for example, oh, you know, people saying, you know, a film, oh, it hasn't got signed. Well, then you make a film that doesn't have subtitles that's signed. So that exclusionary thing, and that's what you that's what'll happen when you get that kind of pluralism of production. That, you, that that doesn't matter. But the, the way the BBC did it was, I thought it undermined it slightly because I think yeah. everybody would have turned on the subtitles anyway. I turn on subtitles for anything spoken from the Queen onwards, not that I watch anything from the Queen, because, you know, I, I want to be able to see what the dialogue is, not miss any of it. And I thought putting it in, in the frame, I, that really did disappoint me, actually. And I was, I was a little bit annoyed because it was, again, it was a... It was a kind of like a signal of, oh, it's disability. You know, you, you need this help to yeah. engage yeah. with that. And I, I, I didn't like that. I thought, uh, but I thought they were all fairly strong. Again, I, I thought it was, they often had to explain the situation it was in. And I, again, for example, the, the abortion legislation and the, the wheelchair legislation as well. Again, the thing about the Hamish one that I thought it, it almost implied that you get, you know, you get a really good electric wheelchair on the NHS now, which, of course, is bollocks. That's not true. Uh, you know, you're not automatically entitled to an electric wheelchair, even if you need one. So and you often you have to go to begging and companies or do fun runs and all that kind of shit for you. So it, it sort of gave an implication oh, it's all better now. And, and of course, that's bollocks. Uh, what was the other one? But otherwise, but the, sh the shed was... Uh, I, I have to say about the shed, shed it's um, as I've kind of done research and looking at, at uh, demographics of dis disabled access and things uh, in the mainstream, um, it was so good uh, to see um, a, a, um, a black female uh, on, on, to, on to a black disabled female on television uh, because uh, it's one of those things we kind of know that they're not there. Uh, but we don't actually realise just how much they're not there. So for that alone, I liked it, although I didn't enjoy it as much as the others. I, I found it a little bit hard to follow. I, I thought The Shed was the weakest of all of them, actually, uh, written-wise. I thought the whole narrative was, was a tad weak. I, I thought, again, coming back to the Hamish one, I didn't like the set. I think, why not do this in a real woods? You know, everybody else had a kind of fairly naturalistic, realistic kind of setting except Matt in, in that one. But again, you didn't need that much. But I thought it was a shame that the, the Hamish one, again, was forced into this kind of theatrical set of, of the woods. And again, I, I didn't like that. I thought that that showed uh, a slight disrespect for the narrative and the, the individuals. But Miro. Um, well, on the whole, I, I enjoyed them. And I think you know, it picked up on so many different themes ranging from kind of performance of impairment that we are uh, either we are forced to do or we become you know aware of and then we internalize our thoughts on that all the way through to you know issues of welfare and I thought the welfare aspects around you know eugenics uh, in the Thunderbox one uh, also you know the, the the relationship with practitioners that were picked up in paper knickers and the dialogue that one has with the practitioners and the power that is held by by medical 
personnel. I thought I thought that was really uh, yeah. really intriguing as well. And and the shed, I yeah, I I, I I get the problems with the shed. I think I was it was refreshing to see an issue that was highlighted, which was quite nuanced in the style of the relationship with personal assistant support and how that can cross lines of jealousy, 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 yeah, jealousy, and jealousy and, uh, and kind of control and power, not through kind of stereotypical ways of, uh, of just, you know, trying to exert control over an individual, but, you know, question marks over, you know, affection and love and, and, and authority or being kind of entangled together. I thought that was quite good. I, I wasn't happy with the ending for the shed. I thought that was quite, you know, it was it was quite a dull and, and stereotypical ending, I thought, which which yeah, undermined it, the program. I think it almost tried to do too much. It was too ambitious. Uh, yeah, but I, I agree with all you said. And I think no, and I think that was my issue with Real Deal as well. I, I think yeah, I, I think it was trying to do too much, and I think it was. And that, the problem is again, yeah, for those who are going to sit and watch it for fifteen minutes and then kind of move on, they probably will drill down into into, you know, thinking about the the. The, the, the broader media narrative of scrounges and surveillance and scrutiny and how we're all told now to, you know, police our neighbours, even in the context of the pandemic, we're told to, you know, police our neighbours, report people and so on. So I think it, you know, it, it comes in a problem, it comes at a prob problematic time, as well as, you know, possibly trying to do too much. I think you know, there are some real gems in even in the real deal, you know, that, that, that issue of, uh, performativity in, in, in accessing uh, welfare, uh, social security, the, you know, the, the, the issues around, around how there's a focus on, on medicalization rather than the broader barriers that yeah, people yeah. face. I think, I suppose one thing to say on The Real Deal though is, is that, you know, there, there are, and I don't think it was trying to achieve this in the program, but it did make me, you know, think, reflect on, the, on this other point, which is even within our sale people's community, I, I've seen how Tell people will turn up, turn on each other, and and challenge each other. And I think, you know, that comes from the you know an onslaught of austerity policy and and indeed neoliberalism, how we're all told to individualize our own circumstances and and kind of you know challenge each other when when we think that we're facing barriers and problems. Um, and I think you know there was, I wish that would have been explored a little bit more. You know, this this idea of challenging the neighbour and questioning other people in our community. I would like to have seen that explored further and used as a way to actually raise questions about why is resist it that we it. are and yeah, to why resist is it? it? Sorry, say again. And to resist it. Resist to resist it, it exactly. Yeah, to, to raise it as a question of why do we feel that it's appropriate to speculate about our neighbours, to question, to police, to to then create action around that. Um, and, I, and I think that was you know that was what really stung for me with the with the real deal. Um, yeah, saying aside, obviously it was a great performance by. But but equally, I think like I think in the Guardian today, or as one of the papers, that actually we have become a nation of snitches, particularly in relation to you know lockdown and all of those kind of things. But just generally, we have become a nation of snitches, and actually, I thought it was really good to explore that. And I think you could almost have added that element of resistance by just not pressing the button at the end, actually. That could have given it a whole different spin. Yeah. You know, one yes. line and just not pressing that button. To but, reinforce collective disablement, it yeah. could have but could then equally, completely gone there. Yeah, but then equally, the reality is we are now in a world where nine out of ten people press the button and yeah. showing that 
has its power as well to some extent. So, you know, it's both. And again, it's, it's always a problematic when it's when it's both. Both sides are right. Both sides have the right and it's both. But what about the other ones, uh, Miro? Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's the first time I've seen Matt Fraser kind of explore those those um, examples. And I was, you know, that was really captivating. Um, it was a really captivating performance, you know, for me. And again, I liked the way that it, it kind of, it crossed over issues of, you know, accessing opportunities that we are, of course, dependent, particularly upon people who are in privileged positions who don't, who either don't care or are not familiar with the access requirements and the importance of 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 giving people opportunities. And then how, and then towards the end of his his monologue, when he then starts to reflect on how, even from an early age, you know, the the way that he was uh, monitored and um interviewed as a as a way to determine the level of of compensation that he should be paid i thought that was really fascinating and of course you know if you translate that to any part of life you know even in contemporary society in the way that you go in you have a 10 15 minute uh interview with somebody who then just ticks and determines the level of payment you'll get as a way of 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 so-called support so i think you know it really it was it, it really engaged with contemporary social problems facing sale people and I think that was you know the, the strongest for me how it how even in these six stories you're, you're covering issues of of sexuality you're you're covering intersectional aspects of of our identity as disabled people you know ranging from you know you know from sexuality all the way through to uh you know our class issues and then of course you know th these other broader policy areas of eugenics and accessing welfare and and the role of choice and control and you know go back to the shed that idea of, you know, how for so long as disabled people's community, we've demanded choice and control, but yet we haven't really had the opportunity to reflect on how that can also be problematic in the way that we are then left to take responsibility for our support and how that can also then create problems and encounters within the within the, the microcosm of the relationship between the PAUs and the, and, and the, the PA as well. And equally, I think it's interesting how, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, Matt Fraser is an overnight star, but uh, 30 years of hard work to be an overnight star is always, uh, <laughs> is always quite an amusing thing, you know, and it's, and again, I, I, I thought, what did one think of Ruth Madeley in the Thunderbox as an actress? I thought she was very good. I thought she captured a lot of the emotion. I, I thought it was an outstanding performance. I thought oh. it was an outstanding performance. I, I loved it, yeah. You know, I thought I thought that was uh, and, and really and really really glad that um, the idea of parenthood and eugenics and and the experience of, of women within that, um, uh, which I'm always told is quite an unfashionable topic to look at um, as an academic, um, uh, that, that we've done that kind of thing. It was yeah, she's just such a good actress. Can, can I go just go back to Matt Fraser to what you you said? I can see what you mean about having seen lots of Matt's performances, but I, I I agree generally with Nero. And I think one thing when I was listening again to what he was talking about, I think it was kind of almost like a phenomenological performance, which really kind of focused so well on on intersubjectivities between disabled and non-disabled people in a way that I haven't actually seen him do before. Mind you, I haven't seen anything that he's done in, in the past few years, but um, no, no, I, I agree, I, I agree with you. Rarely seen that kind of thing. And, and again, there was an element of that in, in her performance in Thunderbox. Yeah, well, I think Matt distilled it 
to perfection uh, in order to deliver a performance that was was quite exceptional. And I think you got all of the elements in there with with the kind of and like you say, even in the way I describe what disability art is in various articles, particularly the number one article we were talking about earlier, but we won't mention that. Uh, I, I thought it did capture that very well. And, but I, I think even, even the real deal did that to some extent. Uh, and and I, I, I just thought it showed the talent out there and, and, and the writing. And do you, do you think this is a seminal moment that will change anything though? I see that Matt, uh, into conversation with Colin Hambrook, for example, they're both saying this is uh, this is the kind of uh, I, I forgot what the phrase is that moment where everything changes. They're suddenly going to start doing disability lots and differently and all that kind of stuff. And uh, do, do you think that that's going to be the case, Miro? Um, I think it will require more opportunities now for till people to have these these chances of of controlling the the written dialogue the you know the 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 the, the, the direction and the acting as well on its own i'm not convinced it will be a seminal moment but if there's an opportunity where more broadcasters will give space power and resources over to till people to control all aspects of filmmaking and delivery of, of film and, and documentary, then perhaps you know we, we can look back to say, oh, this was this was a way of seeing how we we kind of moved in that direction. But um, you know the worry is that we we this this can become easily lost within a kind of plethora of other um, representations of disability. You know, if we think about the films that we're talking about in all our podcasts, this could quite easily become lost in that, and many audiences won't see it so I, I i hope it you know becomes a legacy in, in a sense where it it, it creates a, a a more emphasis on tell people having opportunities within filmmaking well I'll, I'll 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 say i don't think it will make any difference in particular i think you know uh, you have the advantage of youth Miro, but i remember probably before you were born we did this you know the arrival of channel four <clears throat> Channel 4 did, what did Channel 4 start in 82? When were you born, Miro, tell us? 89. 89. Oh, 82, Channel 4 started. They did the most incredible programmes on disability with disabled people, by disabled people. And then it slowly faded away and died. I think that's what's going to happen this time. I think media... The way media works is it picks a group to exploit, uh, to give it some originality every few years, uh, almost like a parasite. Uh, and then it picks, then it moves on to another group, you know, a bit like often arts funding. You know when you're in for five years and then you're that group are in for five years and then that group are in five. And, you know, we, we come back to that. And I, I don't think... I think it's going to be a real tragedy if it isn't that moment, but actually I'm old enough to have seen it before once, if not twice. And then we just revert back, you know, and Matt, Matt, the irony is, is Matt's been there all the way along it actually. Uh, you know, even something like freak fucking basics, which was a documentary, I think in the mid nineties, uh, which was, which was really, really good. So I, 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 
I don't share the hope of everyone else. I, you know, I get the PR of boosting it and whatever, and they will be get more jobs. You know, Matt's going to get more jobs. Liz is going to get more jobs and they will do those things. But actually disabled people have always been getting those jobs in these periods, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, actors in Brookside and all that kind of stuff, dramas about them, films about them. But actually you then, it fades away and it comes up again. It fades away and comes up again. And I can't, see in an era that we are in which is probably the most dangerous era for disabled people in the last 30 years it's not going to change that and that danger is going to increase and actually a, a gloss of engagement you know because again you got to remember channel four when i'm talking about the great stuff on channel four was under thatcher so then you got Blair and it all disappeared because it's gone like you didn't need to do it anymore. And I think, you know, once this lot have gone, you know, say six, seven, eight years time, I, I really don't, I can't, I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. But my experience tells me this isn't going to be that, that moment. Alison. <laughs> I agree. Um, I, I think... Basically, we know who we know who the gatekeepers are, and there's very few of us amongst them. People uh, don't give their power away without a fight, do they? It's kind of those those old cliches. They'll they'll give us they'll give us bits, and then say we've done that and move on. Uh, but we will, I imagine, keep fighting. Yeah. So not, nothing more to add, really, to that. Yeah. I hope I hope we're all wrong, but yeah. I don't. And on that note, I would add that if you really did enjoy the Matt Fraser one, as we all did, he is in a new game, a runner game about thalidomide, the drug uh, created by Simon McEwen called Seal, Seal Boy and Friends, which if you go to Google Play, you can download it, where it's a runner game with Matt and uh, someone else whose name escapes me, a young woman who has thalidomide, and they run through things and you get to different places and you learn about the history of thalidomide and the Nazis' role in it and all those kind of things. So uh, check that out. I think it's a pound, which goes to uh, a good cause, you know, uh, to do some more work, whatever, around disability in games. But Matt's the star of that, that runner game. So check that out, uh, Seal Boy and Friends on Android only on Play Store. So now we come to the truly exciting movie, which we have all seen in its utter delight and glory which is Christmas Ever After. So as you're the one who's seen it the most recent, Alison, i.e. this morning in the bleak midwinter, long after Christmas, when that, that joy and love and spirit of all Christmas stuff has gone, what did you think? Was it there? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, you kind of recommended it to me beforehand. Uh, so I went in quite positive and... Uh, I have to say that was irony. Oh, that was irony. All right, okay. I didn't realise that. I took it. I, I took it um, as you said it. So anyway, anyway, let me first premise this by: I really don't like Christmas films, <laughs> kind of almost at all. I, I even don't like the one that everybody says is great. Um, you know which one that is. Um, <laughs> And I actually watched Happiest Season a few weeks ago, and I thought that was going to be different. That was. Did, did you watch Happiest Season? No. That that had uh, that was um, a gay romance, uh, and it was a bit like being 
uh, great actors, a bit like being smashed over the head with a message. Uh, <laughs> really sad, really sad, because I, like I said, I don't often watch them, apart from Die Hard, so I've seen all of them, but that, that's the kind of Christmas film I would want. So um, this film uh, obviously was in the romance genre, like happiest, romance Christmas genre, like happiest season. Um, and I actually, given that I don't like the genre and I, and it was just so predictable, I actually thought it wasn't as bad as I expected. <laughs> but part, but, and that's partly uh, because she's the, the, I've forgotten her name, sorry, Ali, what's her name? Ali Stroker. Yeah. Um, she's a really good actress. She's, the camera clearly loves her. I'm not sure quite what that means, but I'm sure you know what I mean. She, um, she, she's very easy to look at. Um, Vivacious. Pardon? Vivacious. Yeah, she, she, she had a real, she had a real presence. Uh, very, very, very watchable. Um, a, a bit of a rubbish story, uh, but I have to say the disability parts of it, the impairment parts of it, I thought were handled really well. And I kept forgetting that this was the film that actually was featuring a disabled actress. So on that, I'm not that that's always like, oh, that makes it a good film. Uh, but I just thought, yeah, that, that part of it, I, I had very few complaints, but I might have missed something. But um, so basically Mills, Mills and Boone, uh, thumbs down, um, impairment portrayals, um, and the disabled actress thumbs up, really. Well, I'll, I'll start by saying uh, <laughs> I thought it was dreadful, but it is within its genre a good example. And, and so that's a difficult thing to say. For example, I don't watch It's a Lifetime movie, which is a bit like Hallmark movies and that kind of stuff. It's not my thing, and I didn't expect to like it, and I didn't particularly, but I think it is quite generic, to use a word. I don't think there's anything particularly special. It, and they are built upon the premise that you pretend there isn't a single problem in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so they erase issues of race, gender, and in this case, disability, age in particular, everything is just nice and lovely. And everybody treats everybody as if the real world doesn't exist. Which, if you have any knowledge of the real world, you're sitting there thinking, fucking hell, this is shit. <laughs> but they're all like that. So it's almost like unfair to criticise it. I think it's. I think that's a missed opportunity in such a genre to not be able to get one or two little things in. For example, when she pulls up in the car and there's 15 steps up to the main entrance and then she's in the building. It's kind of like, you know, just give us, you know, just give us one little hint that the world isn't perfect. You know, uh, it was it was utterly bizarre. So. Uh, having seen Happiest Season as well, which I think is quite interesting, I didn't mind Happiest Season that much because I the thing I did like about Happiest Season was Dan Levy's character in it at the end, sort of, because I often say that people, people find the truth 
their own way and in different ways. Obviously, some people never find it. And I thought I quite like that about Dan Levy's character in that you let you you've got to not let them off, but understand where people have come from. I liked his character. Yeah, where people have come from in their bias, their ignorance, and their discrimination, and actually with support they can get on that right road. But actually, it's not all going to be the way you did it. And you know, by doing you know revolution and this, and I, I thought. Dan Levy saved Happiest Season, but only just. Uh, and this would have benefited from something like that enormously, just to give it a little bit of life. I think you could have got the message out of Fillmore, but in a TikTok video. <laughs> uh, done by Dan Levy, obviously. Or a GIF. <laughs> as long as it was a very short GIF. <laughs> Miro, Happiest Christmas, Christmas ever after. Well, I watched it. Uh, it was a it was a gateway to my Christmas. It was the first day off, off work, and the best thing about it was the snacks that I was eating while I was I was. <laughs> I, was uh, I couldn't. I, I I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it was it was one of those films that you could let just wash over you, and you felt you know it, it was all pleasant. But you know, as soon as you you apply the disability studies lens to it, it all it all collapses. Uh, which, often, which is often the case with most films, really, to be honest. I think, um, I think as soon as you applied your eyes to it, it, <laughs> it, it but, they're just boring. That's the thing. They're just boring. Yeah, but they, 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 there's something about it that makes you feel a little bit... Well, for me, anyway, I found... It, it, again, you know, it, it, you, for the hour and a half, you forget about every injustice going on in the world, and you think the world's a perfect place where we all eat gingerbread, hot gingerbread uh, men, and we all uh, find the love of our life uh, there was a twist. The twist I didn't see coming, so I don't know. Don't know what that says about me. I didn't realize that. It, obviously, the you know that his ex-wife, his his previous wife was his dead uh, wife. Come on, his, his dead, dead wife. wife. Yeah, I, I forgot. I couldn't remember if she was dead or she was ex-wife. And I thought I'll, I'll go with the ex. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't match up the three years. I didn't match up the three years. No. What does that say about me? I think he might have fallen asleep for a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's when I became interested in my snacks. We're just looking at them instead. So. <laughs> But uh, no, it just uh, I'm I'm happy, I'm happy that I don't have to watch another Christmas movie until next Christmas. I just yeah, it made me feel that too. You're right. I love the idea that you called it a twist. You know, there there there, there is no such thing as a twist in these movies. I thought uh, <laughs> it, it was it was just it was it's not my kind of thing. I don't like none of us obviously like Christmas movies. You like Christmas movies, really, Miro. I know you do. You're a sentimentalist at heart. So, but no, it was just it was just bizarre. Again, I would I would recommend people watch it because a it's probably the one of the few of that genre of that type with a disabled character in it who is really disabled. She's won an Emmy for being on Oklahoma, in Oklahoma on Broadway or something like that. They didn't yeah. show a body. They didn't show a body. That, but that bugged me, actually, because we saw his chest laid out on the sofa and then we saw, then it switched to her body on the bed that she'd lifted herself out of a wheelchair. Mm. and But she was fully clothed. Well, and, well she and was it, overly. Want to see a body, but it's like, why would you juxtapose a, a kind of rugged looking man with this woman who's flumped herself on the bed? But he, also she was overclothed. She was overclothed. She seemed to have more clothes on than you she could was. have ever dreamt of wearing. In a but room. also, I, uh, something I raised, and I think, Paul, you said it might have been because of coronavirus, but I, I noticed as well, whenever there was a kiss with her, 
it the camera had to like cut away. Oh, you it was obscure because the back yeah the camera angle was from was would film from the back of her head. You're right. I was actually getting nervous. I'm going, oh god, they're going into the kiss. What? How they're going? How's the cameraman going to handle this? I think Paul said you think it might be because of coronavirus. Yeah, well, to be fair, all the women I've ever kissed always look away when I'm doing it, so that's probably something <laughs> <enough>. but, <laughs> but I think it was made under social distancing and all of that kind of thing. Oh, and I think it? perhaps oh, that they didn't actually kiss, you know, because they make them all in the summer, uh, the, the summer before Christmas. In fact, it's having watched it, there was a brilliant Simpsons episode in the last few weeks about them coming to uh, Springfield to make a Christmas movie for this kind of channel, actually, which was a really nice episode, which add, add a whole load of extra depth, having watched this Christmas Ever After, which was just really bizarre. But uh, so have we got anything else to say or is that it? I think it, I think it probably lacks somebody getting worryingly ill and then recovering. I think they could have thrown that in the mix, really. Yeah, but disease would imply that there's a real world. <laughs> Well, of course, you also had, you know, the it was the uh, the hotel manager who had the, who had an, who acquired an injury to bring the uh, the main characters closer together, didn't he? Yeah, sprained his ankle. I, I thought racing it was quite interesting because again, it seemed quite tokenistic. And again, let's pretend that the world is absolutely fair, as you know, the world, particularly America, is disintegrating into a kind of race hate war but actually this thing with with the because uh, she's a writer in it her agent and the town council woman and it was like oh goodness. that reminds me the thing i hated about it the most actually apart from the clunky dialogue at the beginning which is awful uh was on three different occasions um the they the, and they actually named it uh, nepotism played a huge, huge part and i've got just such soapbox about ne nepotism Nepotism. I, I've got a big thought box about it anyway. I think of very little else sometimes. But three times it was brought up and it was treated not just as a joke, but uh, which it was treated as a joke, but also kind of as a, it's beginning to be almost seen as a positive trait. Is, yep. you know, we do this, we do. And, and the, so the, the one most disturbing thing about the film for me uh, was the fact that nepotism is a lovely, lovely thing that happens in 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 uh, happy people's lives which of course it is uh, but it's too, but it, you know all the rest the discontents now so it's now become virtue nepotism so, so basically you're you're equating it there with italian realism that actually representing the reality of <laughs> nepotism as a good thing for those who engage in it in their lovely lives ah <laughs> uh, well on that note uh Again, I'd recommend everybody sees everything we've said, even if we don't like it, because it's just funny. Uh, thank you, Alison. Thank you, Miro. And we look forward to into the next one, which we will... I'll tweet this and everybody can see it, and then we'll talk about what we're going to do for the next time. There's some good stuff coming up. So thank you both. Cheers. Thank you.